Well, this morning's message came out of uh, reading through the Bible in a year. And I just want to start off with uh, just a brief summary of the book of Judge, uh, chapter 17 and 18. What's significant to me when I was reading this was that this was a season in Israel's history that there was no king. And the scripture says that uh, every man did what seemed right to him. So I want to start off with the story. It's a condensed version. A story about a man named Micah who made his home an altar and then later on he hired a Levite priest to uh, be his priest. Micah said to himself one day, the Lord will do me good seeing I have a Levite as my priest. Well, one day, five men from the tribe of Dan came upon Michael's home. They spent the night there and things were really good. But while they were in Micah's house, they noticed there was a Levite. And they said, well, here's our chance. We can uh, ask him to seek God and find out, well, is our trip going to be prosperous? Is it going to be good or bad? Well, the Levite said, Yes, you know, go ahead and do that. Well, while these men of Dan were there, they were casing out the joint. And not just Micah's home, but the surrounding area. And they found in their spying of the land, there was no military to speak of, no magistrate, in one version says. So it was like open grounds. They thought, well... We'll come back. So they went back to their home base, and they got 600 other warriors, and they came upon Micah's altar. He had this molten silver idol that his mother had made. He had an ephod, and he had um, a priest there. So... They persuaded the priest to come with them. They took the idols, and off they're going down their path, and Micah catches up with him and says, What do you mean, what's the matter? You stole my idols. You stole my priest. You've robbed me of everything. The response of the men from Dan was, Well, you want to stay alive? Move on. Forget about that idol. Forget about that priest. So Micah left, and he was alive, but he was empty-handed without his idols and his priest. And I thought, wow. When I was looking at the life application there, it says, what a spiritual condition Micah is in. And I thought, how does that relate to me here today in the 21st century? I don't have any stone idols or wooden idols. I don't burn any incense. I mean, how does an idol affect me? Well, 
when I did some research there, I started thinking about uh, a book I'd read a while back from Ken Sandy, The Peacemaker, and he pointed out here a definition of an idol. He says this, an idol is any desire that has grown into a consuming demand that rules our hearts. Now, I want to emphasize, it's a desire that got out of control. It's not just a desire. It is a desire that's just totally out of control, that rules our hearts. It's something we think we must have to be fulfilled or secured. To put it in our way, it's something we love, fear, or trust. Now, here's an animated version here about money. Ooh, we love our money. It gives us power. We don't have to fear about the future because we got lots of it. And nobody's going to touch me because I've got the firepower to back it up. Here's an example about fearing the future. Oh, it's going to happen to us. Who's going to make us slaves of the government? We're all going to go to prison. Oh, this is just terrible. Terrible. Here's an example about trust. Oh, comrade, aren't you glad that you have that little number on your wrist and on your head? Oh, we trust in the one world government to care for us from the cradle to the grave. Aren't we secure and happy? Wow, we don't need God because our every need is taken care of. And we can do anything we please. We don't have to give, just take, because it's all mine. Well, these three statements are kind of creepy, I know, and they're getting closer to home. But to move on to a more serious point about love, fear, and trust, these same three words are words of worship. Jesus commands us to love God, to fear God, and to trust God only. In Matthew 22, 37, 38, it says this, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. In Luke 12, 4 and 5, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body they cannot do any more to you than that. In John 14.1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. The book of Proverbs reminds us that we as believers have a responsibility to guard our hearts. Proverbs says we need to guard our hearts for out of it comes the issues of life. We have a responsibility to filter out what our minds are preoccupied. Anytime we long for something apart from God, fear something more than God, or trust in something more than God to make us happy, to feel secure, to be fulfilled, we're worshiping a false God. 
God is our ultimate provider. He's the one who gives us the strength, the knowledge, the opportunity to work and provide for our needs. When I personally read and listen to the news media about the economy, politics, I become a little concerned about the future. And I found myself, after reading this passage in Judges, how am I blind to an idol? Because I don't think of an idol. I think of sin, but I never think of an idol. Well, as I, in my quiet time, was thinking about this passage, the Lord was bringing to mind some unhealthy attitudes I had about my workplace and that I needed to let them go. Well, I don't know about you, if you're really honest, sometimes when God says something, you you don't just, you kind of, I don't know about that. Mm, Maybe. And then finally I come to the place, okay, all right, I need to let this go. Um, But here's the thing. Some people obviously, obsessively cling to their past glory days and fail to live for today's challenge. You know, one of the things God was dealing with me was I was reminiscing and thinking a lot about what I was able to do in the past 23 years when I was with adult ed. And God was dealing with my heart saying, you need to let it go. You need to say, okay, that chapter is close. But there's some people we know that don't. They want to hang on to that. They want to glory in their old days. When I was in the Navy, uh, in the Naval Reserve, we'd go to these meetings and we would hear all about the World War II um, adventures and, and, and these guys would be talking about it. And those things were fine, but that was all they wanted to talk about. You know, there's things that God does in our lives in the past that, well, that's 20 years ago. That that was good then, but what about now? That was the thing that I was convicted about, that I need to live now. I can't live on the past. You know, I've known many people in this church, done a lot of good things, but... I don't need to always stay there. I need to let it go. I don't need that to be an idol in my heart. Because God wants to do something today. Now we all have and will have continue to face disappointments on this side of eternity. Every time I think of this side of eternity, um, it's it's a reality that each of us will face one day, that one day we will die and we'll be with the Lord. But while I'm here on this side of eternity, I'm reminded of the old story or the old saying, disappointments are God's appointments. Whenever we encounter a major change in our life that is beyond our control, We will travel down one of two paths that's set before us. One path, if we choose it, is the path of bitterness, where the individual believes 
everything and everyone is out to mess them over. Been there, done that. Don't want to go that path. I'd rather take the other path, the path of becoming a better person who recognize there is a big picture in my life and that all things work out for good. Does that mean it's always going to be rosy and Pollyanna and, oh, everything's good? No, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be some hard things. But here's the thing. We need to cling to God's grace and mercy while we face those difficult circumstances. Truthfully, folks, I don't want to travel down that path, that first path, and become a gnarly, bitter person, or as Jim Grinnell would say, a Cremongian. You know, I don't want to be there. You know, I'm 60 years old, and, and I know I'm starting to get to that place where I can be a Cremongian. So in order to avoid being that gnarly, bitter old man, I want to choose the path of God where I can genuinely love, fear, and trust in God Almighty. Well, this morning I want to review some practical points as we wake up to this new day in glorifying God and to address idols in our hearts. And they are revealed through these three things. Number one, His Word. Number two, His Spirit. And number three, His Church. When God speaks to us about releasing our idols in our heart, He simply asks us to let go, to confess it, to repent, or turn away from it, or simply, as I like uh, Gomer, not Gomer Powell, but um, from Andy Griffin, nip it, nip it, nip it. We've got to do that. The, the lure, the pleasure, the oh, just downright selfishness on our parts. You know, we want to cling to our idols, our success, our money. John Piper says, sin is what you do when you're not fully satisfied with God. If we aren't fulfilled and secure in God, we will inevitably seek after other sources of happiness and security. You know, in the 60s, when I became a Christian, you'd always hear drugs, sex, and all sorts of other uh, vice, you know, as um, things of sin. And as I get older, I see, oh, that's what that means. You know, it's like the light kind of clicked on. I'm a late bloomer. That... Uh, why people did those things. Well, the scripture says that sin for a season is pleasurable. You know, if sin was just a pain in rear, we probably wouldn't do it. But since there's that lure of it being pleasurable, we're going to do it. So what Piper was saying here, if you're not satisfied with God, you're always wanting to fill that gap. It's not where we need to be. So God wants us to release us from sin and idolatry. That tries us daily. Our responsibility is guarding our heart. 
And how do we guard our heart? Well, we guard it by one, making ourselves available to hear God as we read his word, as we listen to his Holy Spirit and his church. And you think, whoa, what do you mean, his church? Well, let's back up here. First of all, what do I mean by getting into his word? Well, I don't know about you. I have certain amounts of self-discipline, but there are some mornings I get up and I think, I don't know if I want to do that. I want to read the newspaper. I want to read this article. Or, oh, I need to get back to my quiet time. You know, I've got to make myself do that. The second thing is quieting myself. I find that in the craziness of my work schedule and teaching in an elementary, there's very little quiet time uh, for one to uh, reflect. So I need to discipline myself to hear it first thing in the morning. And the third thing is having fellowship or getting together with his church. You know, there's times going to house church or coming to church, I can think of other things I want to do, and I have to say, nope, I don't need to do that right now. I need to discipline myself to do it, to come to church. And oh, by the way, Jim and Mary Beth, yeah, I was going to put that plug in. We need to come to church. Okay. Purpose in your heart to do these things, to read God's Word, to listen to His Spirit, and last, to be around believers. Because if you don't purpose to do it, the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. Don't just talk about it, do it. So we read in Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the two edged the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. We all are to be accountable We don't need to be like in the story in Judges where there was no fear of God and every man did what they feel like doing. In our society today, we'll see pockets of that already happening where people don't feel like they have to give an account for stealing something or lying or whatever. But here's the thing. When we die... We will be judged for everything we say and do. It's a sobering reality that we all need to be reminded, especially when things don't go our way. You know, God speaks to our hearts about idols through His Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 2, 10, and 13. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. For his spirit searched out everything and shows us deep, God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thought except that own person's spirit. 
and no one can know God's through except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words that are given to us by the Spirit. The Spirit's word explains the spiritual truth. You know, as I go on in my Christian experience, there's some things that I've read in the scriptures that just totally make no sense, and then one day, the light comes on. In verse 9 of that same chapter, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Church, I want to encourage us to come to that place where God is my all. And when I see idols in my heart, I find that I've substituted my happiness in God, my awe in God by the things of this life. And um, I think of, you know, this may sound kind of trite, but I remember when I was in the Navy, I was on my ship, I love my pea coat. Oh, I just thought, so nice to wear this Navy pea coat. I mean, in my heart, I was really proud of wearing that peacoat. And there was a lot of neat things I did in that peacoat. Places and people that I seen and did. But then one morning, I go to the locker to find my peacoat, and it's gone. And I was really ticked off. I thought, who's the jerk to steal that? I like that. I really like that peacoat. Well, later on in my quiet time, God was dealing with me that I needed to let it go. I said, but God, I have such a neat pea coat. You know, I really like that. Well, like I said, it may sound trivia to you, but there are things in our life that others may think are trivia that we, in our heart, hold on to dearly. Things. Not the relationship with the Lord, but things. You know, when we go to heaven, we're not going to be driving our Mercedes. Some may think they will. We may not be carrying a bunch of stuff with us. We're going to just be as is, naked as a jaybird. We're going to be before God. And we're going to give an account of what we said and what we've done. And the third one here is his church. Instead of reading all of uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, I want to just kind of summarize these that I thought were really good to be reminded of. Galatians 6, 1 says, If we sin, we are to be gentle and humble, lest we get caught doing the same thing. Verse 2, we are to carry another one's burden. Thus, we fulfill and obey the law of Christ. And I like the next one, verse 3. I summed it up. Don't be full of yourself. You're not that important. I thought, yeah, that's right. I don't 
need to feel that I'm just number one guy here. Next verse, pay attention to your own work. Don't compare yourself to others. Number five, we're responsible for our own conduct. Number six, those who are taught the word of God, share with them. Number seven, don't fool yourself. You'll reap what you sow. Verse eight, those who live to satisfy their sinful nature will reap death and decay. But those who live to please the Spirit will reap everlasting life. Verse 9, so let's not get tired, guys, of doing good. At the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, verse 10, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. And that's what I like about that chapter was it's just a nice little summary of the church and how it's been effective in my life, and I pray that in yours as well, that the church is one of those three components that helps us to say, hey, you know, maybe you need to let that go. Maybe you need to let that idol go. Philippians 2.13, where it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among like stars in the skies as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor in vain. So, let's wrap up what I'm going to say here. What do I mean by idols? That, by the way, that's the title of this little message. What do you mean, idols? Well, an idol is any desire that has grown into a consuming demand that rules our hearts. It's something we must have to be happy, fulfilled, or secured. To put it in our way, it's something we love, fear, or trust. So anytime we long something apart from God, fear something more than God, or trust in something other than God to make us happy, fulfilled, or secured, we worship a false god. So these same three words, love, fear, and trust, these are words of worship. Jesus said, we're to love God, fear God, and to trust in him. And just a reminder of Matthew 22, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Our responsibility, church, is to guard our heart and to make ourselves available to God's voice through his word, through his spirit, and through his church. Because each one of us in this room will one day stand before the true and living God and will give an account of how we honored him 
in everything we say and do, and to others he has placed in their life. You know, some people invest all their time and energy in pursuing money, success, career, position, and security. They even see their identity by the same measure the world has. The Bible puts it this way, lust of the flies, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life instead of what God thinks is important. So here's the closing verse. Paul said in Acts 24, I have the same hope in God as these men have, that he will raise up both the righteous and the unrighteous. And because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all the people. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I ask that each of us would have a clear conscience. That as we go to that quiet place where we go to read your word, to hear your Holy Spirit say this way or that, Lord, that we would be sensitive to that. Father, help us in this crooked and perverse world we live in not to become jaded or bitter. And Father, I pray that each one of us, Lord, would shine the glory of God. And as we let go of our sins, that we let go of the idols in our heart, those things that captivate us instead of your love. Lord, let it be. Change us into the image of your Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.